Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. This is live show number 39 already. Uh, me and Dan talked about a lot of good tips for winter scouting. Um, seems like the year has just flown by and before we know it, deer season for 2022 is going to be coming to an end and the start of 2023's deer season is going to start. So we thought we'd get this one out here uh, before it's like, you know, too late and everybody's already done their scouting for the winter. So, all right, with that, um, don't forget to go over to Before the Echo uh, on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and give us a like over there. If you have a, a free moment or two, make sure you leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. And I appreciate it, guys. Um, on YouTube, we're close to hitting our 10,000 subscribers, and that's pretty cool. My goal was to get that before the end of the year, and I think we're going to bust through that uh, a little bit early. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back hey. to the show. How's it going, Dan? Good. 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 Let's get Good. back to bells. Yeah. We can uh we can talk about your uh, vacation now. <laughs> I brought it up last week and I shouldn't have. I wasn't even thinking everybody knew you were uh, potentially gone for what we should days, do but... is we should tell them I'm on vacation when I'm not, so I can at yeah. least see them when they come over. Oh, uh, that's funny. Then it's like haunting. But uh, I think that's against the law. You can't bait them, right? I don't know. I can shoot them if they break in the house, but I can't bait them. <laughs> like, them. Yeah, that know. seems a little wrong. I'm a little morbid, but yeah. It's like a um, kind of like putting out a fake buck uh, for someone to shoot off the side of the road, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I had a guy who shot one of those ones. A guy that hunted with me when I was yeah. guiding, he, he told me that uh, he shot one of those uh, mechanical bucks and uh, got busted. And he said, but in his defense, he says he'd never seen a buck like that in his life. He says it was so big. It was like the cover of Outdoor Life magazine or something. He said it was the biggest <laughs> buck he ever saw, and he couldn't help himself. And he probably would have shot anything that he saw. Right, right. But, uh, I've, I've heard stories, uh, a conservation officer saying people, some of those guys that, the type of guys that shoot a buck off the side of the road, they get so focused on doing that that, like, they almost have to, like, the guy said he had his lights on and drove up to him, and, uh, the guy kept shooting at the deer and he said he actually had to physically go up and like, Hey, and then finally the guy was like, Oh crap. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> it's funny though. I got some, uh, I got our conservation officer or local one goes to church with me. I ought to see if he'd ever get on here and, and talk. Um, probably got some good stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much those guys can talk about stuff. Right, but, I know, I know. I think they um, can talk about stuff as long as they don't like name people and stuff. They can talk about past cases that are closed. Yeah, um, I don't know for sure, but I would think so. That's something I've thought about a bunch: is getting a conservation officer on here to just people asking questions and this and that. I mean, uh, there's like a hundred different like I don't know if you call them myths or whatever about conservation officers and just be fun to actually know what's actually going on with them right it would yeah um anyway yeah i will sometime uh i see him every week almost so um i just know they're i know they're kind of shorthanded around here it seems like there's only i think there's only you know one per area at the moment so uh, 
Yeah. We got like one a county, but uh, yeah, um, from somewhere I don't know how they do it, but somehow they get extras in during gun season, so they have like renta wardens or something. Hmm. I don't, you know, if they only got one per county, how do they bring extra into each county? <laughs> rent a warden. I don't know. I don't know. If, maybe if they have like some police officers that are helping, or I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or they just focus in on problem areas or who knows what. Uh, but I would think, I mean, it seems like every place there could be problems, you know, during gun season. There's people everywhere. Right. Uh, anyway, well, Everybody, I'm going to give my spiel now. And if you're new on the channel here, uh, just ask your questions in the comments and we'll try to get to them at the end of the show. Also, uh, for this episode, we'll put a link um, to get on the show live if you want to later and ask a question live. If you want to get on here and talk to us, uh, just make sure that your uh, your question is kind of concise and uh, to the point and also know you're on live uh, YouTube, so don't say anything you uh, will regret or get us demonetized or anything like that. Uh, yeah, and also we're like super close to ten thousand subscribers, Dan. Uh, nice. Yeah, I think I only need like a hundred and hundred and fifty or something subscribers. So should happen in the next few days, if not maybe tonight. Maybe if you all just subscribe tonight, it'll it'll bump me up over it. So that's pretty cool. I wanted to get it done before the first of the year, and we're going to do that for sure. If you buy each one of them a tree stand, I'm sure they will. Each one of them? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What kind of tree stand? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rooking has, has some after-season sales. Jeez. I can maybe afford those. Jeez, I'm <laughs> trying to up my sales here. Not to... Oh, yeah. Um, I need to think of a good giveaway here coming up, too. I haven't really done anything big since uh, 5,000. So um, 10,000 is going to come and go before I can do, maybe we'll get with like prime or something and do a bow. I think that'd be cool. Maybe they'll send me a new bow and I'll give my old one away. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we thought we'd get on here and chat about uh, winter scouting because, you know, it's that time of year and all honesty, a lot of, a lot of uh, seasons are going out here after Christmas uh, but before we do that, we do have a new story to talk about. Um, Dan sent me this one, uh, and it's kind of right up Dan's alley. But uh, there's a there's a little girl in Ashford, Connecticut, that got attacked by a uh, a coon with. I think it was rabies, right, Dan? They think so. Yeah, they had to have rabies shots, so I assume. Yeah, so. and I'm going to share my my screen here. Put my, got the... uh, on for this. Do what? Oh on. yeah, here we go. We got, we actually got two videos to to uh, to show. Let's see here. Yeah, here's the video. I'm not going to play the audio because it's a bunch of screaming and hooting and hollering and stuff. But yeah, this little girl came out. Looks like she's going to school or something. And this coon was on the front porch and just grabbed a hold of her for a long time. And their mom ended up coming out and had a heck of a time getting the coon off of her. I got her mom too. Bit her. Yeah, yeah. I think the video here in a second goes on and, and shows the the mom finally there's a, she's grabbed a hold of that coons grabbed a hold of them she actually uh, the neighbors were coming over to help too and she told them don't come over here it's got rabies yeah so she's a yeah. pretty tough woman yeah and finally she tried to throw it but it kept trying to bite her yeah well it grabbed a hold of her you can see it grabbing hold of her there yeah. and she finally threw it anyway 
And there's a uh, Dan Jr. there, the, the raccoon expert. Raccoon expert, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's crazy. And I, uh, I got to thinking about this today, and it's like, man, that could happen in, at, to anybody, really. I mean, there's a lot of coons around anymore nowadays because the 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 coon hunting stuff's not as popular as it once was, and all that. Just as you know, not as much trapping and all that. So. I mean, we see them all the time walking around. I mean, they're they're, they're pretty docile creatures. I mean, that one might have had rabies or something, but uh, generally they'll run from you. But if you surprise yeah. them, kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a, a black bear. Black bears are safe, mm-hmm. but if you got within a couple feet of it and surprised it, you're in trouble. And raccoons can be the same way. I can remember yeah. sneaking up on one. Just like I always like to test my skills because I'm a weirdo. So like. I can remember seeing a raccoon out in a clover field eating clover like a deer does. And it was yeah. this big coon. And I was going out uh, bow hunting. And I was like, wow, look at that thing. I wonder if I could sneak up on it. I got the wind. So I snuck up on this thing and I got within a couple feet. And it was just so busy munching, it wasn't looking at me. And I took an arrow off and I just tapped it on the back. And this thing was a giant. And that thing spun around so fast and almost got my leg. <laughs> oh, my fast. gosh. It was quick. You know, but uh, Carol does uh, uh, coon rehab. Yeah. Uh, so for a while there, she was getting calls like crazy. Now we do a lot less of it because it was uh, getting out of hand. But uh, we'd get calls like crazy about problem raccoon families. And we should go remove them from a barn or a house or, or something. And uh, um, she'd always get me and I'd have to go while well, she's chatting about you know, the coons and how she's going to take care of them and feed them donuts and stuff. I'd have to go catch this angry mom coon and all of her baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I would literally have to just go running and tackle these things in a, in a barn. And if you, if you're, you know, it, they, they sound pretty scary and stuff. And if they get a yeah. hold of you, they are, I mean, they can really sink their teeth into you. Mm-hmm. I've only been bit by them once or twice and it's never been really bad from all my yeah. interactions, but uh, I'd always get them by the tail. And uh, when you pick them up, the first thing they do is they try to curl up and bite your wrist. So you yeah. swing. And then they, they straighten out. They can't curl up when you're swinging them. And then if I can get them to, to grab onto something, then I can scruff them too. But you got to be careful with the scruff and they'll get you. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like they're not that easy to grab a hold of. <laughs> you some of those videos? I mean, a lot of my videos I used oh, to do, yeah. they start them out with chasing a coon down and catching it. Yeah, 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 I got one up here. There was a uh, what do you what do you call this that color phase coon? I'll put it oh, a cinnamon coon, the orange one. Yeah, yeah, By that was way, a, it, that was a sick if, raccoon. That's yeah, why if it, you know we caught it. Yeah, if anybody wants to go down a good rabbit hole, go to uh, the Hunting Beast YouTube channel and then just go like oldest video first and just start watching some old yeah, <laughs> piece random stuff old, on there. Pretty, pretty, pretty random. <laughs> there's Dan. Dan, you need to bring back that. That uh, luscious long hair you used to have. Yeah. Carol didn't like that because the, the ladies liked it. Oh, well. I liked yeah. it, though. I can see why. That's funny. So what are you doing here? Just trying to distract it? Get his attention biting, and biting grab, hand, grab it yeah. with the other one. Because otherwise, if they see you coming, they get you. But that one turned out to be pretty sick. Yeah, I think. It, it, said, it, had, uh, it had distemper. What's that? Uh, distemper is the same thing that your dog is getting stuff. That's why your dog has to have distemper shots. Yeah. Distemper runs, runs like through raccoons like crazy. 
it's very, very uh, contagious. And if a coon like that has it, all the coons in the area will get it and you'll kill off a population and they'll come back, you know, again. And coyotes get it too. That's why you'll get coyotes yeah. coming patterns. Because when the coyotes get this temper, it'll wipe out a whole population of them because it's so contagious. Mm-hmm. So you'll lose your coyotes for a while and all of a sudden they'll come back and they'll fill the gaps back. And that's more, that kills more coyotes than hunters do for sure. Yeah, I imagine so. Hmm. Is it, does it make a mean or anything or just sick? Um, they don't really get, they, they probably do get a little aggressive mean, but they're, they're, uh, they seem like they're dizzy and off balance and they wobble when they walk. Yeah. So they, uh, they can't really, uh, uh, get you too easy. As you saw, I just walked up to that one and kind of grabbed it. Yeah. And generally they'll run and you'll have to chase them or whatever. If you're right. gonna catch them. Um, yeah. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, that. I think that uh, woman and her uh, daughter both had to have, go through rabies shots. Yeah, it sounded like it. The, the Which... one thing that uh, I would recommend um, highly is if something like that did happen, if an hour, hour in her shoes, I think she did most everything right. And that coon expert said she did. Mm-hmm. I think just one mistake she made, if it were me. I don't know if she's capable of it, but I would have killed the raccoon. Yeah. They, then they could check it for rabies. You don't have to go through the shots unless you need it. Yeah. It yeah. could be just that the, she's the girl surprised the raccoon. Because, like I said, if you get strained, it'll, yeah. it'll go into back mode. You know, um, she might have been able to save herself the shots if she killed it because they can check it. And I think I believe they can make a serum for the rabies out of the, the dead raccoon, too, that makes it a little easier. You don't have to go through this. Um, hmm. You go through a lot more if you don't have the dead raccoon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I yeah, I've never I've never had to deal with rabies, but I mean, I've I've heard that it's not very fun to have to get all those shots and stuff. When you, um, I wouldn't say this too loud because because Carol doesn't like hearing it, but uh, when where you I mean she doesn't that, watch <laughs> when I learned to catch raccoons is when I was a little kid. Yeah, I would get, chase them down and catch them, and I'd beat them against a tree. I grab him by the tail and spin him into a tree and kill him. Yeah. We'd eat him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Skin him and, you know, but right. uh, we didn't have much money and that was food. You know, it's a whole different time frame. Yeah. That's a, uh, I always wondered where you got all that, like where you learned to, or what made you start catching all them critters and stuff. But <laughs> I, grew, uh, I grew up feral, man. Yeah. Yeah. I got, a, sure. I got a good coon story if we got time. Yeah, it was fine. No hurry. So, uh, Maybe we'll just talk well, about coons all night instead of deer hunting. Right, right, right. <laughs> People start uh, popping off. Yeah. Uh, me and my son, I mean, so this goes back like 20 years. Um, we, we were, I don't even know where we were going, but we left the house and we we're dri- driving down the street and uh, we go by this little wet area and I look over and there's this raccoon standing on the side of the water. And it looked a little off, like it was sick. And it was the middle of the day. And I'm like, nah, something up with that. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to catch that thing and see if it's got this temper or something. You could look in their eyes and you see their eyes uh, don't dilate when they got this temper. They just stay wide open. You can look inside their pupils. So uh, I stop in the middle of the road and it's just like this little rural road. that has got hardly any traffic on it. And I run over there and this raccoon tries getting away a little bit and I grab it. And it's, it was pretty, uh, uh, aggressive. 
So it was trying to get me and I had about a tail and it's trying to curl up and bite me. And it was a really big raccoon is like a 20 pounder. I mean, it was huge. So, uh, I get back to the truck and it's a stick shift truck. And I'm like, now what do I do? It's got a, you know, an open box and I got the kids sitting beside me and I was like, okay, well I shoved it through the window and closed the door. And I had to keep spinning it with my arm and I'm trying to work the stick shift and stuff. And I look up and about 200 yards up the road, there's this house. It's the only house out there. And all these people had come out from this house, like three or four people. And they're standing in the road with their like hands on their hips, staring down at me. That's from quite a ways away. Right. Yeah. So I notice them, but I'm like, well, well who cares? Right. So I get in and I, I put it in reverse and I'm trying to back up the road with this thing. And I ended up backing up all the way to my house, which is only like a you know quarter mile down the road. And I go in the driveway and I, I, I get this raccoon out and I go shove it in this cage. And uh, I get it in this cage, which wasn't an easy task because it's trying to rip my arm <laughs> off. Right. And, uh, I turn around and this van is at the end of the driveway and it's just people from that house. They had a van there too that the people that got out. So they, they, they followed me over there mm-hmm. and they're staring at me up the driveway. And I'm like, well, I better go up over there and explain what's going on. So I start walking up to them and they slam it in reverse and spin their tires and take off like crazy. Like I'm going to kill them or something, you know? I'm like, well, okay. But I mean, you saw my hair in that video, right? That's the same yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, uh, uh i go in and uh uh carol comes out she's looking at it and we're looking at it with a flashlight and stuff she's yeah that's got that's got this temper it's just not as far gone that's why it was still aggressive she's like uh, run it down to the uh this place that, that kills them because if you yeah. kill it on your property anything that gets near it gets this temper too yeah you know you know they, they're really contagious so i take it to this place that uh euthanizes them that's right down the street then i come back and we've got raccoons and pens. We've got we at the time we had like ninety of them that the DNR had brought over ninety babies that we were rehabbing. Jeez. So I go in the, uh, I go right up in the house to take a shower to make sure I clean all this stuff off me. So I'm in the shower. I, I get all cleaned up and uh, I get my shorts on and there's somebody knocking on the bathroom door and I says yeah and it's my daughter. She says dad, there's a whole bunch of policemen downstairs and they want to talk to you. I go, okay. So I tall dried my hair and looked like I had an Afro with long yeah. hair. And, uh, I didn't have a shirt on. I just put my <laughs> pants on and I walked down the stairs and there's all these cops with their hands and their guns staring at me. And I'm like, over a raccoon, you know, I'm like, what the hell's going on? You know? So what's going on? And, uh, big cop steps forward and he says, uh, uh, you go down the street over here. You, you drive down the street over here. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes like, like half an hour ago, did you drive down this uh, certain certain road? I go, yeah. He goes, what were you doing down there? I says, uh, I drove down there and drove back. And he goes, what did you do down there? I said, well, okay, I'll play along. I was driving down there. I looked out the window and I saw a sick raccoon. I said, so I got out and I caught it. He goes, hold on. You saw a sick raccoon, so you ran over and you caught it? I says, yes, sir. <laughs> he's just staring at me. He looks at the other guys and he's like, you caught a sick raccoon. He goes, what were you going to do with it? I said, well, I brought it home. I said, it looked like it had distemper. I said, I took it down to 
the animal place and they disposed of it. And he's like, you just ran up and grabbed a raccoon? I says, yeah. He says, what happened? I said, well, I got in the truck. I couldn't get it started because of the stick shift. So I had it hanging out the window and it kept trying to bite me. So I was swinging it. I backed up to the house. And this other cop goes, oh. And I'm like, what's what's going on? He goes, well, the people up the street had their house broken into like a home invasion a few days earlier. Yeah. And they thought you were like had stuff hidden in the bushes and you were the person that did the home invasion. And you grabbed the stuff and you had this big bag of loot hanging out of your window and you're driving backwards. They said, <laughs> you tried to attack them when they drove up to your house. <laughs> I was like, no. I said, my son's upstairs. I'll get him to come down and tell you the same story. He goes, no, ain't nobody would make that story up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of, I mean, in their defense, I, I can name, uh, uh, everybody on one finger, he would do that. And that's you. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's funny though. Um, anyway, if you guys want to watch the full video of that raccoon attacking that uh, little girl, I got it in the description uh, of the, of the live show here. So, um, oh yeah, something else. I don't know if it's true or not. Cause I, I have no way of like confirming this, but someone said that, uh, on, on YouTube, uh, on last last show on Sunday, um, we had the the uh, the ch fire chief on that talked about the buck in the river that um, they're a uh, local to that area and that buck ended up dying. Someone found really? it dead, I guess. So they said. I mean, I, I don't, I don't didn't see I a picture just, of it or anything. I got a message today from somebody saying they got a, that they saw it alive, but it might have been that that was today when that guy commented on it. So uh, I well, don't know. That's sad. Um, but you know what? Yeah. If it just laid down like it did, I'd, and like I was saying before, when we were doing that is, um, I've seen a lot of rescues. Mm -hmm. Most of them end up with the deer dying. Yeah. Um, they used to trap deer in a place called river Hills, uh, near Milwaukee. That was a very rich neighborhood. Yeah. Trap these deer, um, because they wouldn't let anybody hunt there and people owned like 10 acre lots and it was just full of these giant bucks. People would go driving around or just to see the bucks. But they would trap the deer and then they would take them to like uh, the country and let them go into public land, which is a shame because they're like pets, you know, and be like yeah. zoo animals <laughs> out there. But right. uh, they quit doing that. And the main reason they quit doing that is the deer were dying in transport. They were having heart attacks and stuff. Yeah. yeah they couldn't yeah. take it. Deer are really delicate with stuff like that. Oh, yeah. That's what they said. The guy said on the comments, you know, like I said, that's I can't really confirm it, but I, it would not surprise me in one bit if it died. Um, anyway, I was hoping the ending of that story would be like some guy next year shot shoot, shoots him and he's like twenty inches bigger than he was this year. But oh well, a part of being a deer, I guess. Yeah. Um, all right, you want to talk about some scouting now, Dan? Sure. Get off the coons and. Uh, I'd rather talk about raccoons, but I bet you people want to hear about <laughs> Yeah. Have you, I don't know, is there podcasts and stuff for people like that, like that kind of stuff? There's podcasts for everything. I don't know if Carol ever listens to like rescue type things or. Oh yeah, but I bet you it's a bunch of tree huggers. Yeah, I didn't know if you ever got asked I to get do... on those cat forums and stuff. And I mean, they're a bunch of. <laughs> <laughs> 
you wouldn't get along with them is what you're saying huh yeah <laughs> i mean you go out and have a steak dinner they eat an apple and a yeah piece of celery, you know yeah. yeah 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 i get it um yeah there's people that actually feed their cats and dogs vegan oh yeah i know yep it's, it's a it's crazy but whatever i always think like they they uh they think that they're as right as we think we're right. So maybe, maybe they got a point sometimes. I don't know. You know, it just seems insane. They to got me. no point. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, all right. So we're getting into, uh, for a lot of people, we're getting into deer season's over and kind of next year's going to begin. Deer um, season is never over. Don't ever right. say that. Right. But the, the the next year's deer season is beginning is what I right. I uh, was getting at. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And I mean, it's no, January. Yeah, right. Um, but if you weren't going to hunt all January and you're going to start start scouting, that's kind of what we wanted to, want to talk about here. Um, what are some stuff you do in like in the winter months? Not necessarily, um, you know, springtime. We always preach about springtime scouting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is there anything you do different in the wintertime compared to, you know, Well, I, I really like to uh, follow tracks around and see where they go. I like to follow big bucks around the woods, especially in fresh snows, because they teach you a lot. You wouldn't think so. You'd think you're just following tracks. But if you're really observant, and I'm, I'm kind of the type of person who always thinks about why. And if, you, and if you think like that, when you follow those tracks, you really see some interesting things. Like, um... I followed bucks around in a marsh near my house that uh, mm-hmm. are, are very large, mature bucks. And you notice how they walk around for a mile and never go past a tree you could shoot them out of. That's an eye opener because you almost have to try not to walk past a tree that you could shoot out of, you know? Yeah. Um, you see all kinds of things. You, you learn little hiding spots that you didn't know about. Even me looking for like, uh, the overlooked spots, you find spots that catch you off guard. You're like, well, I never thought of this. I didn't think they were here. And you learn little hideouts and spots that they bed. And even if they just bed during winter, it teaches you a little, you know. Um, Some spots that you find, some bedding areas that you find, will only be bedded in winter that you find now. They won't be bedded there in, in the fall. Um, but that'll help you next year, late season for one. And number two, some spots are used year round. 
Yeah. So it does help to, to look and it, and it certainly doesn't hurt. And the sooner you look at where bucks were betting, the sooner you look at them from the season, the more the sign's still fresh. Like right now you can still see rut sign real easy. You can mm-hmm. still see the scrapes real easy. You can still see the trails real easy. And those trails you're seeing now are not made now, you know, unless they're in snow. If they're in mud, they're made, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, you know, you know, into now maybe. So those were being used during the rut. They're being used during the season, right? Yep. So uh, when you get into like uh, March or April, things are shifting and some of those trails and stuff might be a little different from them. You know, even when we're looking in like February, April, you know, March, all that area, we're still looking at the sign from back in season. You know what I mean? We're not really looking for fresh beds. We're kind of looking for where they bed during the season when we're hunting them. So the sooner you look to when they were bedding there, the more the sign is there to see. Matter of fact, I would say the best time to scout if you for intel is during season. Mm-hmm. Except you usually have a tag, number one. And number two, if you don't have a tag, usually somebody's hunting in the area and you're yeah. screwing things up. So I, t- I tend to try and wait till afterwards. I do do some scouting during season, you know, if I'm filled up and look at some areas where I don't think people are going and stuff and or they're not in there. Um, but uh, it's a great time to scout. Every time is a great time to scout. Yeah, for sure. Something else you can kind of judge this time of year is like, get a feel for how much pressure properties are getting. Like that's something that you can't really tell uh, as easily in the springtime or, you know, summertime because there's not as many people out and about, but right now you'll be able to at least get an idea of tracks in the parking lot and footprints well, and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, anytime um, you're scouting, you, you see sign though. I mean, I remember that sure. uh, fall scout that I did on video that, that video I did with Eric. Mm-hmm. Where we scouted that property, we found those gutting gloves, a couple mm-hmm. places, we found a knife, we found some beer cans, some soda cans, food wrappers. Remember that? Oh, yeah. 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 That's that's the spot that the DNR sold because nobody uses it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you, DNR. Other than like, yeah, a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Sounds like. Uh, something else that I do this time of year Uh and you know, you were mentioning about hunting stuff and I, like I won't start scouting again until after this weekend, this weekend's our muzzleloader season. And then it goes into late bow hunting, which there's hardly anybody that bow hunts late in the year, um, around here. I mean, there, there are people, but it's, it's pretty much a ghost town for the most part, like it is in a lot of States. Um, but I will, I'll, I'll start running trail cameras again this time of year to get like a idea of what's left over after, you know, the guns seasons are all over here in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's one of my most exciting like times during the year is like picking up those trail cameras uh, when I'm shed hunting or something and checking out what made it through the. Um, sure. The you're already getting a head start because anything you yep. see now is probably going to make it. Um, you, yeah. you hit on something too there. Um, I don't want to distract you too far from what you're saying, but when you're talking about it still being muzzleloader season, I'm sure a lot of people watching this still have some sort of muzzleloader or gun season in. Yep. And to me, one of my best times for scouting for bow season is while I got a gun in my hand. I love sneaking into bedding areas or what I think is a bedding area with a gun, jumping deer. But at the same time, I'm learning that bedding area for next year. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, no, I don't I think I was it. gonna. I don't think I was gonna elaborate any more on that. Oh, okay. uh, but yeah, I, I'll. I'll uh, I got a lot of. I got a lot of trail cameras out right now. It's just been soaking all year, and I'll go and I'll probably next weekend or something go and uh, you know put fresh batteries in some of those. Maybe move them to certain areas that I think maybe get better pictures or just kind of a judge, be a judge when I'm out there and, and get a good inventory for next year. Now, you know, I would tell you like, you know, if I get a picture of a deer in you know, January, February, before it drops its antlers and like probably 90% of the time that deer's back alive the next year, you know, sometimes they die, but most of the time they make it. If they, if they got through those December and, and, uh, through muzzleloader season, they're, they're per pretty well uh good as gold from there but well, if you look at the, the the majority of my biggest bucks i hunted them more than one season so i'm yep. going off tell from previous seasons yep yep um you ever go into like new spots this time of year oh yeah for sure this time of the year i do a lot of new spot you mean hunting wise well yeah or you scouting, mean hunting, whatever or, yeah well both yeah. Uh, scouting, I'm always looking for new areas. I mean, I, I learn an area pretty well. You kind of know where the deer are going to be. I mean, uh, once I know a property, if I know it inside out, I know where the deer are going to be. I know where they bed. I know how they move. Then it's just a matter of something big shows up. So I'm always wanting to expand my range and find new properties that might be better, um, learn new areas. And anytime I'm scouting fresh stuff, I'm learning. Even if I don't end up hunting there or anything, I'm learning about the animals. You're looking at what they're doing on that property and why they're doing it. And you're, you, you know, you're just going through following them and figuring out what, where they're going, why they're going, when they're going, what they're doing. Every time you do that, you systematically make yourself a better hunter or a better, uh, more knowledgeable about deer. Yeah. Next time you see a scenario that's similar when you're hunting. It just clicks inside it. Sometimes you don't even know why, but you're just like, well, the deer are going to be right there. You know, a lot of times I can look at a property and I know where the big buck's going to come out of. And I have a hell of a time explaining it, but I just know it from looking at all the bedding I've looked at over the years, you know, and I'm sure mm-hmm. you're there too. I mean, I remember, uh, when, uh, when we saw that buck this year on that, that hunt, that eight pointer you got, mm-hmm. I mean, you pretty much, uh, right off the bat knew where you're going and you went in there and you killed the deer. It's a pretty yeah. much done deal. I don't think your average person could do that. You did that because you've looked at stuff like that over and over and over again and hunted that type of terrain and scouted that type of terrain. So you knew what to look for and you just put yourself right in the right funnel and uh, you made it happen. Yeah. It is something hard. Like um, it's something you can't hardly teach people is just like that experience that is probably like, you know, it, if we're being honest, like 70% of the battle is just like, you just got well, yeah. a bunch of time. You can, you can teach everybody everything we know. Yeah. But they still got to put in the time. They still got to mm-hmm. pay their dues as old Stan used to say, right? You got to pay your dues. Yeah. You got to, you got to burn that boot leather because there's something that's got to click inside you to recognize. You can learn it book wise, but you have to, to live the life in order to execute. That takes yeah, that's time. right. Yep. And that's why it's so hard. Like um, me and you both get a bunch of like very intricate detailed questions about like certain properties 
uh, or certain situations people have. And it's, it's hard to answer those, uh, uh, you know, thoroughly for people or, you know, I always feel like I disappoint people with answers, whatever. It's something like that because, um, if if somebody, if you ask somebody who's supposed to be a deer expert, but a spot on a map and he gives you a, a matter of fact answer that they're going to be right here and this is what they're going to do. Like, I don't know shit. Yeah. So, <laughs> That's right. Really, if you, if you know what you're doing, you can't answer in absolutes. You can't. Yeah. You don't know if there's a tree stand up there. You don't know if this is going on. You don't know what's going on. You can say, I, you know, from what I've seen, this is what I think a deer is going to do in this situation, but they might not. They might, you know, but, um, I get a kick yeah. out of people that uh, use always or never when talking yeah. about deer. The only thing they never do is fly. I've never seen one fly. Yeah, away. right. Right. <laughs> I still might not there, say never with that, you, you know. <laughs> right. You never know. There, uh, there are a lot of people that are very, very, as a matter of fact, and this is how you have to do it. And um, I think one of the biggest reasons that I've been successful is like, like 10 years ago, I was like such a student of everybody in the outdoor industry. I mean, I was, and I, I'm fairly good at like, um, keeping my mouth shut and listening. Uh, and man, that's, that's what helped me a lot is like not getting in that mindset of, of, uh, there's only one way of doing things and like kind of becoming a, a jack of all trades instead of a master of, you know, one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've gotten good at, you know, a lot of things. I'm not great at all, any of it, but um, I think that's important. If you're, if you're a guy that's hard headed, uh, in a manner of, you don't listen to anybody, that's a hard way of learning how to deer hunt. Right. But anyway, you know, I think a, a lot of people go through stages where at one point in their life, they do think they know everything. Yeah. And then later on, they know that they learn that they don't know all that much. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that's it's usually, getting better. Yeah. It's usually funny. how like time humbles you like that. It's like, Mm-hmm. you know eventually something has to come around um well it is what it is most of us listen to here are men and men tend to be hard-headed that way oh so, right anyway like you said a lot of times like women that are deer hunting deer hunters are super good at deer hunting because they, um, they don't have that, they don't ego, have that ego yep they don't have an ego um but anyway what else about winter scouting you got anything else to um, to add about that, uh, as far as like what kind of sign you look for th- this time of year, uh, I thought you, you mentioned like looking at, uh, his, not historical sign, but sign from, you know, early season right now and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you mind like elaborating on that of like how, how, like how fresh can a rub be this time of year and what to look for as far as how old those rubs are and stuff like that? Yeah, you can see it in color. But it's again, it's one of those things that are hard to describe. I can't give you like a color range or anything. Yeah. But like, uh, like uh, your buckhorn and stuff, or buckthorn will be like an orange when it's rubbed. Mm-hmm. You know, but it'll be gray if it was rubbed in early season. It'll be orange if it was rubbed in like late season. You, you know, and uh, sometimes you get rubs that are still a little tacky. Some are all dried out and starting to dull in color. You know, you can kind of judge when those rubs were made. Uh, in a lot of cases, you have to see a variety of rubs to start to get that together. What helps is to see an area that gets rubbed all the time, and you see the difference in ages of the rubs together. 
and then you can start to put that together. Um, I think the main thing I look for scouting this time of the year, if I'm looking for um, where deer were bedding and traveling and working during um, the time frames that I hunt, I'm going to look for the classic bedding points. I'm going to look for the um, classic islands, things like that. And the good part is they're very obvious at this time of the year when there ain't leaves blocking your vision. You can see the stuff really well. So you can go there easy. You don't have to worry about spooking deer out of it. You just walk in there um, and look around and you find the beds. Even if there's not tracks at this time of the year, if the deer migrate in your area, you'll find the dents in the ground where they were bedding. You'll be able to see where the beds were. Uh, sometimes you need to, um, again, get a knack of looking for that. Um, and I say that with kind of a hesitation because I look at it and I know right away what I'm looking at. And I always thought it was obvious, but when I take these groups out for like our workshops in the spring, you'll have people look at it and go, well, what makes you think that's a bed? And I'll be like, well, what do you think it is? Well, it's a it's dirt. It's a, it's a dent in the ground. The leaves aren't disturbed or anything. Well, yeah, not at this time of the year. Well, how do you know that's a bed? Well, I know it because I've looked at so many of them over the years. Yeah. I've looked at them, then I've seen them later in the year when they, you know, in the spring, I've seen them in the fall when they're bedding there. So it's one of those things that, you, again, you got to get some boot leather out there. But looking at those points and stuff, um, finding rubs right in the beds. I think one thing that really um, is not 100% because a lot of times big buck bedding areas, if you're in low populations, won't be rubbed up and stuff from big bucks. Mm -hmm. but one thing that uh, gets me going is if there's rubs right in the beds that are off of mature bucks because not all bedding areas will hold mature bucks. Mature bucks got a lot fewer bedding areas than what are out there. You'll have one and two-year-olds that'll bet on every point, right? Yeah. There's only select spots that those mature bucks will bet on. So um, finding mature bucks sign in that bedding area tells you mature bucks bed there. And that's, that's some place that you should concentrate on if you find mature buck sign there. But what will screw people up is they'll find giant rubs in a bedding area and they'll be like, oh man, this is it. You got to find those rubs in the beds. If they're off to the side, that might be a buck cruising through there or breeding with those that are bedding there. But you'll find when they bed in those areas, a lot of times the rub will be exactly right in the bed. You'll see the tree that they're bedding next to yeah. the rub. You know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. a buck bedding there that's rubbing that. If it's on the trail that goes past there, eh, you know, or if there's like a rub line going in and out, one rub line going to the bedding area, not past it, you know, like not around it or right. It probably means that there's a mature buck bedding in there, but then there's a time frame of when they go in there. And that's the real key to looking at those bedding areas. So what I'm finding more and more is that these bucks really have a key time frame that they really peak on these bedding areas. And uh, it's funny because you'll hear guys say, and I'm sure some of our listeners are, are going to be this exact way. They'll say, I'm saving my area for rut. I will not go in there till rut. Well, what you're going to find is some of these bucks might be bedding there in September and be a mile from there in rut. You know what I mean? Or yeah. bedding there late season and they're a mile from there in rut. But 
there, there's like a two week window. I mean, I've got spots where the first two weeks of October is the time to be there. I've got spots like that big buck I shot uh, last year in uh, September. I knew I had to hit that buck opening week. Yeah. We got him, you know. So a guy's got to get good at reading the sign at these bedding areas and understanding what he's seeing. And that is a difficult task. And that's why I get asked that about a lot. And that is a hard one to answer. But if you look at a bedding area like that, you try to age the rubs, you try to age the sign, you try to determine how often they're bedding there, what time frames they're bedding there. And you take an educated guess. You look at what foods around it. Why are they there? Where are the trails that are going in and out of that bedding area coming from and going to? Are there multiple trails going out of that bedding area? Is there one trail going out of that bedding area? Where are they going? Are they going to a doe bedding area? Is the bedding area really rubbed up? Rubs everywhere. That would tend me to believe that it's in the late October, early November time frame, right? Are there no rubs? But it looks like big bucks are going in and out of there. Maybe there's a tickle on a tree or two that looked like it was from a big buck. Yeah. That could be first week of September, you know, uh, that could be late season when they're not really rubbing a lot, right? Um, is it adjacent to uh, an acorn flat? You know, and then it could be like an every other year thing when the oaks are dropping, you know. Um, but if there's oaks everywhere, maybe that has no bearing at all. But you have to do your like like investigation. You have to be like a, a, a detective, a deer detective. And you have to figure out that bedding area and why that deer is there and then kind of come up with a time frame when he's there. And if all else fails, what I like to do is throw three hunts at something if I like it. So I hit it early season, I hit it rut, and I hit it late season. If I have no clue or if I think yeah. there might be multiple times they're bedding there. And what that'll tell me is I might not even see a deer. Maybe I never see my buck. Because hitting the time imperfect, let's admit it, if we, you, you know, you usually don't. But what it will tell you is when you go into hunt and you, you slip it in so close, you know, if you're getting within, you know, 100 yards of that bed area, you should see sign. And that sign will tell you whether or not you're in the right time frame, right? Yeah. And maybe that'll help you next year. Maybe it'll help you the same year. But that, and you, if you keep a good journal, um, when you go out and you scout these areas, if you write everything down, what you're going to find is you think you know everything. And when you come back the next year, there's stuff that you have forgot. There's stuff you don't remember exactly right. But if you had a journal and you kept track of what you've seen, you know, what the wind needs to be, where the tree is, um, you know, or trees, because I, I tend to hunt different trees and different winds. Um, and there might be multiple exits and it might be one exits used at one time of the year and one exits used at a different time of the year. Cause one exit maybe goes to does one exit, maybe goes to a certain food source. When's that food source being hit. So if I see a, like a, a bedding area that has a trail that goes to a crop field mm -hmm. from the bedding area, that's where it goes to. Um, when season comes, I won't necessarily go and hunt there when I think it's the time frame. Instead, I might take a walk along the edge of that crop field and look at the sign. If there's deer and they're feeding heavy, I'm like, okay, it's time to go 600 yards over there where that bedding area is. If there's no right. sign, I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave this alone until it heats up. Or maybe there's a little sign. I don't see no big tracks. There isn't no big rubs around the crops or anything. Okay, we'll just back off. And if uh, I really believe there's a shooter around there, maybe I got a camera, maybe a cell cam, 
right on the edge of that field. If a lot of people walk there, maybe a regular camera that I can every now and then check the card. Mm-hmm. So it's really come in handy nowadays though, but it'll tell you when, you know, but, um, but monitor the food source and the food source are going to be a lot more tolerant of a person being at, right? Yep. For sure. You, you just spilled out a whole bunch of good information there. <laughs> um, Sometimes I go yeah, on I, a little too far, but no, it was perfect. That's good. Uh, and that's, um, I mean, that's what we want to talk about today is, is, you know, how we approach winter, winter scouting. So man, just like, uh, understanding betting is just so, I mean, as soon as I start figuring that out, it's when I start killing, you know, more nice bucks. And mm-hmm. I, I was, I think, it's been, you know, years ago now, uh, whenever you were first doing workshops, you know, I went to one of your workshops and, uh, I told you, like, I shoot a buck every year, but the only reason I ever would shoot a buck every year is because I just would go every day until I shot one. Um, and as a guy gets older and especially in your twenties, whenever you're trying to Mm -hmm. figure out life and all that and, um, jobs and school, you don't have, you know, your time starts to, um, become, shorter and shorter uh and um yeah whenever i started figuring out buck betting is when i uh yeah didn't have to spend as much time to kill a buck you know um i was going to ask you to uh believe it or not like a lot of people watch this channel that don't watch uh the hunting beast uh it seems like we get a lot of like uh uh, i think i think it's from like the podcast stuff honestly like we get a lot of new hunters Mm. um and I got, I've gotten asked a lot of questions. Like, can you give me like three main tips on like, if you're a new hunter, what are some important things to do, um, to be successful? Uh, I don't know. I was going to ask you that on the, this show. Three things to be successful. Yeah. Number one, can... you need to be watching the other channel too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this is I, this is just like people I know locally and and whatnot that like just know me and so they start watching it and they're like oh man mm-hmm. what's this you know um, and they're all deer hunters but they don't really I don't yeah, know, I think, you know just, I think um, it really matters what your idea of successful is now obviously um, what we're preaching is being successful on mature bucks yeah so if you're looking to be mature, successful on mature bucks not just deer it's really key that you stay mobile because those deer got that big by avoiding human contact. They do not go where they smell people have been. And your scent stays in an area for so long that they realize where your stands are. Yep. Um, the majority of the time I'm hunting, I'm hunting a spot I've already hunted by far. And I think all of us do, but when you look at my, my top deer, all the ones that are mature, which might be like maybe 15 or more, um, over 90% of those were the very first time I ever hunt the spot. Mm-hmm. And that's telling. Yeah. Um, and of the rest of them, most of them were the first time I hunted the spot for that year. Mm-hmm. So mobile is number one. You got to stay mobile. You got to keep moving around. You got to catch them off guard. Now, when I hunt private land, I've got that um, 70 acres by Dave's, right? I rotate through the stands, right? The stands that we put up and left there 
are in key positions. They're in funnels. They're in positions where the deer have to move. And 90% of the time, if you see a deer, it walks right underneath you. However, when we kill mature bucks, it's generally on an aggressive move we move to them because they're moving around without going by those trees. Yep. And you got tree stands and all the little funnels, and you watch a mature buck go through there and walk on its tracks in the snow and watch how it doesn't go by one of those trees you got to stand in. They learn you. They pattern you yep. like you're patterning them. So mobile is number one. Yep. And before you go on to your number two here, I was going to say something about that. Um, I recently had someone ask me about uh, they're they're getting back into hunting and uh, you know they were they were asking me uh, about bows. You know they were wanting to buy a bow and they were going to spend fifteen hundred dollars on a bow setup. That's about as you know that's just what you're going to spend on one anymore. You know mm-hmm. um, if you're going to buy a new one. But I was like, man, if I were you. I go buy a used bow for $500 and buy a beast stand and sticks. That's, you know, how your, um, you know, your money, if you got so much money to spend to get started deer hunting, like if you can, if you can get a good mobile setup, you know, you're, you're off to a good start, but it seems like people want to, they want to like, they want to buy this expensive bow, but then they have such a hard time grasping that I have to spend a thousand dollars on a nice stand and sticks, you know? Right, they don't get it. I mean, we're going through the yeah. same process you go through to make a bow to make a stand. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's not even that. It's just stamps. I don't. I don't think people realize how important of a tool that is. Yeah. Like they don't. Is- and I, I mean, literally, um, you can explain it to your blue in the face, but until a guy uses it and sees what he can do with it, yeah, and how he can hang it and where, what kind of trees oh. he can get it in and stuff, they don't understand. You would never understand it until you actually used it. Yeah, and even I mean. And we all used like back in the day, the, the, the old lone wolf assault, you know, that stand was the best in the business for like, and a lot of people still have that thing, but man, it's just like the ink, the, the difference between the B stand and that it's like so night and day. And if, if people could just, yeah, I wish there was a way the old, the owner of that stand. I work for them. If you didn't know that I yeah. fought tooth and nail to try and get that guy to sell that as a mobile setup. Yeah. And it was stupid. Nobody would buy it as mobile setup. Now look what he's doing. He's selling mobile setups. Not a lie. Yeah. 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 Right. But, but they wouldn't grasp that. They're like, oh, we want people to buy 10 of these and put them all over their farm. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, but you got 10 million people that have to hunt public land, you know? Right. But yeah, mobile setup is the, is the key and, yep. and the lightweight kind of thing. I wasn't trying to toot my own horn there. I wasn't even thinking about my stands when I said that. I, I'm yeah. serious. No, I, I need to yeah. be mobile no matter what he does. If you want to yeah. sit in a saddle or if you want to sit in a stand or you want to hunt off yep. the ground, whatever it is, you need to be mobile. Yep. And I, you know, a lot of people don't have a thousand dollars to spend on a stand and that's completely understandable. So there, I mean, those are good. Those are, there's other options out there, but get something that's mobile for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, sorry. I wanted, I wanted to say that because some people just the sticker price of mobile stuff is shocking to people, but yeah, but it's anyway. by once. I mean, it's not like you're exactly going to steal it. I wouldn't yeah. leave it out in the woods. I'd take it in and out with you. Yeah. It's that's not a ladder stander. Yeah. Right. All right. Go ahead. Number two. The number two, um, I would say, is overlooked spots. You have to hunt where people don't hunt, where people don't go, where people don't think of going, but still has deer habitat. Now, now I've said this on blue in the face, so most of the regulars already know this, but um, a lot of my biggest bucks were shot right alongside the road, right next to a parking lot, because nobody hunts there. So... Guys go in, they follow the trail back, and some go in a little ways, some go in a long ways. 
but nobody goes and parks at a parking lot and walks along the road a hundred yards and hunts a hundred yards down from the parking lot alongside the road. That's the void area where nobody's hunting. You know, um, that or you get real remote. Maybe you have to cross water. Maybe you have to, um, like when I hunt uh, down by you in Indiana in the hills, I think the key is to go back a mile or so and get back past where other people want to walk. Down by me, it seems like my properties are small enough that people get to every degree in it. And you got to find the stuff that's right next to the road in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and number number three, I would say um, in a lot of cases, in a lot of your lowland areas, not your hill country, but your lowland areas, um, bedding isolated by water is some of the key to get on the biggest bucks. Um like where I live um, in southeastern Wisconsin, the majority of your biggest bucks are in swamps and marshes around here. And the reason is people can't kill every deer. They can't they can't drive all that water and stuff like that. And yeah. those deer will live out in cattails in water, just on little high spots, little islands of brush, um, little points that go out into there where they have a good escape route. Um, and if they can get isolated by water, that's one of your key places. I mean, there's a lot of spots where people very, very rarely go. Um, I mean, how often do you watch one of my videos where I'm walking through one of them swamps uh, and you just look down and there's a big dead buck that's been there for years. You know, you just pick up the head and carry it out with you because people don't go there, you know. Um, so there's your top three. There Off the go. top of my head, maybe I'll change that if I have time enough to think about it. But that's what I think would be the top three. Yep. No, I would agree with those for sure. Um, something else that like for new hunters is like, don't get too uh, um, involved in the marketing hype of this and that. And I mean, some, some of the stuff people end up buying when they first start hunting is just unbelievable. You know, it's like, man. Well, you kind of hit, hit it on the head in the beginning. I agree with that. Um, I see a lot of young guys that are just getting into hunting, not even necessarily young, but just getting into hunting that spend a freaking ton of money. Oh man. And then wonder why they're not getting deer. It's not about money. It's not about mm-hmm. buying. You want to, you want to spend money to kill deer, go to a game ranch or, or lease a farm. Yeah. That's where the money would be spent. Well, if that's, if that's what your goal is, if you, if you are looking to deer hunt, all you really need is a weapon and it doesn't have to be elaborate. It just has to work. You have to be able to hit your target and uh, you don't even need camouflage. You can just wear flannels or whatever, uh, just blend in. You don't even have to have a stand. And if you get a stand, a cheaper one. Now, all those little items that we use just give us a little bit of an advantage. You don't have to have that stuff. Yeah, Um, for sure. You you know, when I started out, um, my first mobile setup, nobody even hunted mobile in those days. They looked at you like you were nuts, you know, um, Nobody had even heard of it. There was something that I just did. So I had, uh, they didn't have climbing sticks, but they had screw in steps. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I took duct tape and I taped them around the whole handle portion or not duct tape, but uh, electrical tape, put around yep. the whole handles of the um, screw steps. And then I put a, a, a rubber band or a hair thing around it to hold mm-hmm. them together so that they didn't rattle. And those went in a pocket. And that's what I used to climb the tree. And then I took a, a heavy steel stand and I had hose 
around a portion of the um, chain because they didn't have straps back in those days that uh, would go around tree, you know, and I, I would have everything hooked up and strapped on and so it couldn't rattle. I'd have tape around all the stuff that would make noise when it would hit each other, like the seat hitting the platform and stuff. Because nothing was made to be mobile. It was made to put in right. a tree and leave it there. So I literally would have a setup that would, you know, that didn't include sticks that would weigh 25 pounds. And uh, it would dig into your back because it had teeth to dig into the tree. Yep. And uh, I would have to make a strap for it because they didn't make straps for backpacking them because people just put them in a tree and left them there. Right. And uh, I would use that mobile and I still killed deer. Matter of fact, uh, arguably, I killed some bigger deer back in those days than I do now. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever have yeah. like one of those? I uh... My bows at rummage sales, they didn't even fit me. Yeah, right. Matter of fact, uh, my bows would be all busted up. I can remember one time being at full draw on a on a deer, and my bow exploding while I'm looking at the deer <laughs> through the sights. <laughs> Probably because uh... I was overdrawing it because it didn't fit me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I remember when I was little, my bow, uh, the, uh, string came off the track or whatever. I pulled back on a deer and, uh, couldn't shoot it. You know, it, it, the cams twisted all around and everything scared the crap out of me. Uh, I thought I was gonna get in trouble for my dad cause I thought I broke it or something, but I just ended up being, I don't know, just an old bow, you know, how they used to be. <laughs> um, never had one blow up though. Uh, do you remember your first, like, I don't know, like your mobile setup that you bought, like you bought and you're like, man, this is nice. Like, like, was it ever one of them like old Baker climbers people are talking about in this? Oh, uh, I had, a, I had a, a Baker climber. That thing was yeah. just scary. I, 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 heard. I think somebody just gave it to me and it was just, um, I can see why they gave it to me. They probably didn't like me. <laughs> um, yeah, you'd be, you, if you sat down and you just move your feet a little, you'd lose your bottom and you're sitting, sitting on a seat. 25 up with no way, no way to get down. You'd have to bear hug a tree to get down. And then, uh, I started using it with no top. Cause if you sat down, you'd just lose the bottom. And, uh, um, then they started, somebody came up with the smart idea of tying them together. Believe it or not, nobody had ever really heard about that until then. But, um, I used to just bear hug the tree and climb up. Cause if you kept your weight on it, it wouldn't fall, but it would still fall yeah. sometimes. Like if you yeah. step too close to the tree, also, boom, fly like oh, 10 feet. God. Oh, they were dangerous. People just got killed out of them and broke broken backs constantly. That's what I couldn't I believe. You know, nowadays, they'd never allow something like that. No, I got a, when I was nine, I got a Summit Viper for Christmas. That was my first, like, real nice stand. And I think I, I, I still in the bar and I use that thing so much when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, but. Yeah, right. climbers were the big thing. They were the first big mobile thing. And the people in the South were the first people to really start grasping that mobile concept, like what I was doing up here with the, yeah. when the climbers started being a big thing. Um, but what they were missing was they, they couldn't get into any tree. So when I got, when I got climbers, um, my problem was, is I was hunting too far back. Yeah, right. So having to choose trees. Now, that's not every terrain. I mean, if you get into some stuff like hill country and stuff, you can get done yeah. area where there's good trees all over the place. But even there, when you start getting onto stuff that's been logged and stuff like that, you have to get on edge. Edge mm -hmm. is conduct conductive with limmy trees. Yep. So when you get yep. on the edge of something, that's small limmy trees. And for me, um, one of the keys for really killing a lot of big bucks is getting in little tiny trees that are limmy. And just 
you know, get yep. to where the deer are. Yep. Um, I often say, you know, you I kill these deer where I can hear or see them get out of a bed and I shoot them at closing time. I'm literally in the only tree out of a million trees you could shoot that deer out of in a lot of cases. Right. Certainly some cases I could be one or two trees back, but it's literally, I mean, right down to the spot and where the wind is and how it flows through there and what's going on. There's like one spot you can be. And if you don't have the equipment to be in that spot, you're kind of screwed. Yep. You could get away with a climber here. And if you're hitting the hill country around here, um, and a lot of guys, but still you might get into a spot where the tree you should be in, you can't use the climber. Yeah. hundred percent. And then the guys that like you were talking about the guys down South, a lot of guys down South still use climbers. Like they, mm-hmm. you know, they prefer them. They are typically more comfortable than. A, they can, a, they can be know. pretty light too. Um, oh, you could make one real light. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. If you wanted, yeah, if you, you know, there's not really much on the market anymore. I don't know. No, we're working on one. Yep. Yeah. That's going to be sweet. All right, let's get into some questions, Dan. We've been on here for over an hour, and there's a pile of them here. Right. Um, first one here, uh, Ron, he's asking if we're going to put any hunts uh, up, and that you're on the wrong channel for the hunts. Go to the Hunting Beast. That's where all yeah, our stuff do, is. We do put hunts up. You got to go to the other channel. Yep. The so uh, um, you're going to have to put the um, the Hunting Beast uh, descriptions. Yep. In YouTube uh, channel in your description. Yep. Uh, uh, and, to show, but uh, we have a we have a channel dedicated to the hunts, and um, that channel has been up for a very long time and has a lot of hunts. I mean, Go almost unlimited amount in there now. But uh, uh, yeah, Dan, you you've put up quite a few st- uh, during there's gun literally season. over four hundred videos in that channel. Yep, yep. Uh, I shot a doe the other night. I'm gonna put that up there soon. So. Yeah, I'm going to shoot a Boone and Crockett in the next week or so. So, <laughs> Oh, anyway, let me look here. I put the link to call in uh, in the comments at the bottom. Just click on that link and follow the directions that StreamYard gives you to get on. Just be patient with us whenever you hop on here because we may be talking about something. You may have to wait in line. Uh, all right. Another question. William asks, how is it out there in elk country? Got to be cool having elk cruising while you're hunting. Me and Dan had uh, uh, an experience hunting in elk country this year up in Michigan. Not that cool, honestly. <laughs> it was cool for the. Well, it was. It was cool for the first uh, day or two, and I got tired of it because there was just so much elk the sign and stuff. Yeah. So, so literally, uh, um, small elk sign looks a lot like big buck sign. Yep. And people were telling me, we don't have bucks that big here. And you'd like, there's got to be some. And you have to think that we could have been overlooking some big buck sign because it could have been mistaken for elk sign. Yep. Certainly. Yep. That's where I, that's what I meant. I didn't. I like elk. I like being around. Yeah. Them. I, don't think they, I don't think they bother to hunt. It's just hard to um, see through the sign. Yep. Here's another question for you uh danny's asked if you ever are you ever going to do a part two to your book well we got a great book coming out pretty quick here now it's going to again be a storybook but it's going to be a lot better written it's going to be um um more advanced stories than the last time and a lot of them 
So uh, Junior's working on that right now, uh, finishing it up. I wrote all the stories and stuff. He's putting it into uh, a book and putting it up on Amazon. Uh, hopefully that goes up pretty soon. There you go. I knew that. I thought that's what, uh, that, that question was good timing. So <laughs> anyway, uh, Thomas asked a, kind of a unique question. He's hunting a northern Oklahoma, which is someplace I'd like to go sometime to hunt in Oklahoma. But uh, it's hilly prairies, and I'm having a hard time pinpointing beds. How do you find bedding in open, hilly grasslands? Well, I would look for um, leeward sides. I'd look for um, some sort of um, brush that gives them just a little more cover than the rest, um, about a third up from the top near the top but not quite on the top and the wind coming over the top is what i mean by leeward so they can smell what's up behind the hill and they can see down the hill that's how they like the bed and when you start looking at the properties and you you take a map of them and you mark all the leeward spots like that all of a sudden your uh, map in your area gets really small and that buck is going to be somewhere along those ridges where you've got it marked leeward I wonder you take a map like that and you literally take uh you reduce it to hardly anything by just marking those leeward ridges and just looking at those spots. Yeah. Yeah, the hard part's covering all the ground. Um I wonder how hilly the grasslands are out there. I wonder if it's like hilly rolling. hill country, if it's just rolling hills. See now if it's rolling and stuff too, and it's not really steep hills. Yeah. And you make a good point there. They could be more down in valleys and like creek bottoms and stuff like that. That's what probably, I was thinking. Probably likely. Either, yeah, low areas. If there's some, any type of, uh, that's, like that's different like, vegetation. It's kind of like farmland uh, in the yep. sense that there's two places they bed. You look in two places, the highest elevation and the lowest elevation. Not mm -hmm. quite the lowest because they'd be in water, but the edge of water, right? Not quite the highest because they're just over the top, right? Yeah. But the right. highest elevations and lowest elevations is where you can find deer in that kind of terrain. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking, oh yeah, for sure. And I was thinking too, if it's grasslands, you know, if you've got any type of um, vegetation change or any, That's anything fine. that would make, if there's fence yeah, lines. fence lines, yeah, some patch of trees out somewhere, whatever, some brush or, trees, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. You ever, Zachary asked if you ever had a bad encounter with coyotes or wolves up by you? Um, uh, in northern Minnesota, one time I uh, walked up on a wolf bedded in the middle of a logging road at about 40 yards, and it just laid there staring. I mean, it kind of made me uneasy. They should run. Yeah. When they don't run, that's kind of uneasy. And um, uh, I didn't like that. I backed out, and it didn't come after me or anything, but it was kind of had me uneasy. There was one time um, many years ago when I was bow hunting. Um, when uh, before daylight, a pack of coyotes came up and they were got underneath my tree and uh, were like jumping onto the tr tree and uh, acting really strange too. Um, but I've never had them come after me or anything like that. But uh, that was an uneasy feeling too. Like when they don't run from you, there's it's weird. Yeah. My, uh, me and my uncle were hunting one time and he had some coyotes follow him out. He didn't like that at all. He was like, kind of like you. He just, it made him real uncomfortable. You, I've never you know, had any. 
Go ahead. You know what I find is that, um, like where I live, those animals are pretty scared of you. Like if I if I go over by like uh, Central Wisconsin, say Black River Falls, um, Clark County up in there, and do some bow hunting, when I run into wolves, they run like you wouldn't believe. They even get anywhere near you, they're gone. They're used to people. They understand people are danger, and they get the heck out of dodge. But when I get up into areas where they're not used to people, like that northern Minnesota area, I get in some really, really remote swamps and stuff. The bears, the wolves, they seem to lose that fear of humans. They seem to start to get that, uh, if they don't see many of them, that thought process that they're the biggest animal out there. And uh, those ones seem to be more curious and more willing to uh, come at you kind of thing. I think uh, to some degree, uh, especially with the wolves, I think they can sense when you're scared. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to tell somebody not be scared. You can't stop them from being scared. But um, there's things you can do. I mean, you could, uh, if you're allowed to, um, you can pack a gun, you know, a handgun or something. Um Yep. You know, um, I guess uh, they better be chewing your leg off if you shoot one nowadays. But uh, a wolf, not a coyote. Right, right, right. Yeah. There was a guy in uh, Minnesota up where we bear hunt that an old guy. Mm-hmm. It's uh, grouse hunting. And he went back to his truck to eat a sandwich. And uh, he was sitting on his front seat eating the sandwich. And he had his dog um, leashed to his bumper. And he heard a commotion and looked up and there's a wolf um, on top of his dog. And he, he had his shotgun leaning against the truck and he grabbed the shotgun and he shot it as it was tearing his dog apart and killed it. And uh, he called the DNR and said he had just shot a wolf that was attacking his dog. And the DNR came out there and uh, uh, he was arrested and charged with a felony. Jesus, really? Yep. Mm-hmm. Because you cannot, you cannot shoot it unless it's attacking you. I don't think didn't, that's everywhere, uh, but at that, yeah. that time and that spot, that was the law. Didn't um, Wisconsin have a, a wolf season last year? Didn't they? I don't and know. Kind of was them last year or not? I think we did. I know it's been like closed t- down a couple times. The 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 um, the liberals yeah. shut down. Yeah, I, I seem like last year Tim was talking about it. it. Seemed like people threw kind of a fit over it again, like they always do. Yeah, I know. Um, um, one of my friends, uh, Nolan. He might even be on listening. Um, shot a real nice one. Oh, that's cool. I don't know if that was last year or the year before, but I know that uh, usually when we get uh, liberals in office, which we have right now, they have a they they do everything they can to get that uh, wolf season shut down. Yeah, Wisconsin's right. uh, re uh, redoing their wolf season now. Uh, I guess. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, they're trying to appease everybody and uh, make uh, liberals happy, so they're. Um, they're trying to structure the wolf season so that uh, it's a uh, real micromanaged kind of like we're, we're doing with deer now, like how you got to mm. pick a county for a doe tag. Yeah. So there, uh, every little area that has wolves or uh, determining how many wolves are there and how many need yeah. to get taken. That's a huge, that doe thing you guys have going on is a huge pain in the butt. It is. It is. I mean, and it, it saves a lot of does because uh, when you hunt in like, like I do in Jefferson County, when I run over to Dodge to, to hunt, I'm not buying another doe tag. Yeah, it seems like instead of doing all your stupid holiday hunts and all this extra stuff, just let people freaking shoot 
a doe wherever you know buy, buy some doe tags and shoot them if you want you know because i was yeah. hunting three i think i think i was hunting in three days buck tag and stop all the extra sh crap yeah <laughs> almost two cuss words in this one crap. <laughs> anyway but yeah I, when i hunted up there uh this year i think i hunted four different counties in wisconsin this year and like you know i bought i bought doe tags for two of them because i knew but i had to like i had to buy one on the way out to the you know you know on the way out there because i didn't realize i was going to a different county until we started going and i'm like oh crap i don't have a doe tag for this county um but anyway all right indiana sportsman he asked uh dan do you believe in the balloon theory where finding a balloon can locate bedding uh the exact answer to that is kind of yeah <laughs> what i mean by that is um um what I noticed was uh, certain areas that got really good bedding. You go in there and you find 10 balloons laying there and you're not finding them yeah. anywhere else in the woods. So I do think that uh, there is something to it, but literally you can find balloons everywhere. So it doesn't really. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would hang my hat on that. I still want to find a good bedding area. I just, yeah. um, when we talked about that, I just thought it was very interesting, coincidental, and I thought it was interesting. It I didn't. Interesting. I didn't think people would be out there looking for balloons to find deer bedding. <laughs> that is a big can of worms you open because that that gets. I mean, it all, it almost seems like every week there's someone posting pictures of balloons on the hunting these. Oh yeah. <laughs> now, there was people that made a big joke out of it. There's people that really took it too serious. Yeah. And somewhere in the middle was the truth, and the, and the, the yeah. truth is that. Uh, that I do think that there's something going on with the wind currents and that, uh, um, in a lot of cases, I do think that, yeah. that, uh, it does make a difference. Like, uh, that really big buck that, uh, that Dave shot the last buck he shot before he died, mm -hmm. that buck where it was living. I mean, we found his sheds and, and balloons next to it. And it, that veterinary is still to this day. I mean, you go down there and there's always balloons in there. There ain't no balloons anywhere else on the farm. So when one blows in there, it ends up there. And it's a little valley that kind of sucks all the air in there. And it's the same thing. I mean, when you hunt all the way around it, everywhere you hunt around it, your 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 um, thermal current wants to go into that valley where the balloons are, where the sheds are, where the buck's coming from. So there's something to it. But that doesn't mean every time you find a balloon or you see right. a balloon that there's, there's deer there. So I do believe that balloons when they drop down out of the air and they lose their helium and they start to settle and they land on the ground and they're kind of half floating and half sinking and looking for a place to settle, they can end up in a spot where the thermal currents drop to and deer hang out because the thermal currents drop there. But I think that it's probably not something you should hang your hat on. You should hang your hat on scouting. Yeah. They probably just drift to thermal hub. Like that's probably just, what what the deal is but then they could also just fall in the middle of the field and you know correct <laughs> yeah. all right here's something i don't think we've ever talked about here uh on this show but what do you think about decoys this time of year i don't open fields so it's hard to zero in on where they will walk you ever have decoy experience a little bit um once years ago um when i filmed for uh, a different show um they gave me some really advanced decoys and I played with them for a while. And I had a lot of friends that did, um, 
they seem to work pretty well all the time. Um, deer just naturally walk over to other deer and check them out. Yeah. You know, you watch them walk into a field, they walk to the deer that are in the field, right? Now, with that said, I mean, it's not really my cup of tea. I'm not into trickery. I'm not into carrying giant decoys around with me. I'm more into, uh, um, for me, it's the chess match of picking the right trail. So it's just not my thing. But I do think that it would work for you. I think if you put a decoy out there, it'd probably work. I think uh, um, it might help to have it facing you because I think the deer like to like to look each other in the eyes so they'll walk around to the front of you, front of the decoy, yeah. especially if you're using a buck decoy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it can work. Yep. When I was uh, younger in high school, I got had a gig where I filmed – uh, deer hunts for a guy and he loved using decoys in early season mm-hmm. um he never we never i don't think we ever used one during uh the rut or anything but he just loved that that first week of october uh, just because of your comments about them being curious they would just come over just because it was a different deer yeah um i don't think i ever saw him shoot one over or filmed him shoot one over it but uh i know i know he had in the past is why he was so he loved him so much yeah, but they an- are over over calling because um yeah. number one calling usually works more towards rut but yeah the calling wise they pinpoint you in the tree they they come in on edge because they don't see the deer or whatever when they're seeing a deer their concentrations on that deer and they're they're forgetting about you where otherwise they come walking in and they kind of notice you in the trees especially this time of the year so it does throw some of the uh, attention off of you yeah they're just a pain in the butt. We always had to freaking haul them out there and they'd fall apart and we had to rescrew them back together. And it seemed like we were always working on it. And they're loud too. They're all just big hollow plastic things. So, yeah, you kind of get into uh, a trap too of chasing the decoy around. Like you can only hunt where you're putting a decoy, you're doing yeah. this. Yeah. It's like kind of like I get out there and I just abandon everything. I go off running around like a feral yeah. cat. Just, uh, I hardly ever end up where I'm going or whatever. I'm looking at sign more. And more worried about where do I think the deer are coming from? Where are they going to? If I'm hunting an opening and the deer aren't coming out where I think they are and I don't know how they're doing it, I don't think I'm close enough. Generally, yeah. where I'm picking to hunt, I'm so close to betting they got to come by me before they spread out. Yeah. So a decoy um, really doesn't have a use for me in that manner because of where I'm setting up and how I'm setting up. I don't like setting up on open spots. Now, I do. I do do that. I've been doing that at like... Uh, like Dave's this last week, uh, I'm sure if I put a decoy underneath me, I could have lured some deer over to me. Um, yep. But uh, just not my cup of tea. Yep. But with Zeke, it sounds like if you guys have a property that's just a field or something, it's just, he says he has to hunt the field edge, that probably not a bad it, it could idea. Work. The trouble is, too, uh, you got to get that thing out of there when you leave, too. I mean, if they figure out it's a decoy, yeah. I mean, like, you leave it out there overnight, it ain't going to have any effect after that. So you got to be able to get out into that field, get that thing, and retrieve it, too, to get back Yeah, you. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Outdoor misadventures. <laughs> he asked, uh, would you ever do a show on just hunting any deer, not just big bucks? Some people just uh, need to start off by shooting a doe with a bow. What do you think about that, Dan? Oh, I shoot does when they come by. It's just, it's just not my cup of tea again. That's, it's hard for me to yeah. do. Um, 
you get to a point where that just doesn't seem to be a challenge for me anymore. Um, I do try to put people on a show that um, are interested in just harvesting any deer for food. Um, Rick loves shooting does. Um, Uncle Lou loves shooting does. And we feature hunts with them occasionally. But the um, problem with that is, is, is the people that are into shooting just animals for food tend to not be I don't want to sound mean or anything, but they tend not to be good hunters, so they don't get as much killed and as much on film. Um, but uh, yeah, I would do shows like that, but it's not me. I mean, I think the closest I get is if I go to some place like um, like now, I might go on a trip next week. Um, I don't really want to at this point disclose where I'm going, but if I go to an area that's uh doesn't have a lot of big bucks and i've got a couple of buck tags in my pocket and i go chase bucks i might shoot some two-year-olds at this time of the year one comes by and i mean which is a little lower for my class you know but uh maybe even take a doe i mean i love deer meat but i'm not really targeting just deer i mean if i targeted just deer i'd be tagged out in a day yeah i uh that's what I, I filmed that doe I killed the other night. And it just, I don't know. It just seemed kind of boring. The, the video I'd put together, you know, I'm trying to figure out a way of making it more interesting for people, uh, which I will, but it just, yeah. You know, I'll know. go out and I'll shoot a doe when I don't have a tag. And it's, it always is like a weird feeling for me. It's just like, it's mm -hmm. not even hunting. Um, yeah. I, I was sitting there. Uh, to shoot one when one comes by when I'm buck hunting. I feel excited about that. I'm happy about mm -hmm. it. But to go out and, and actually seek one out and hunt it is just hard for me to do. And uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's just me. I, I mean, it's bad. I really kind of, you know, no. deep down, um, deep down, I really, when I look at hunters and, and I watch hunting, I seem to have more of an appreciation for the guys that just go out and shoot deer for meat and are just out having fun. Cause I yeah. kind of, deep down that kidding me from when I was a kid and it was just flinging arrows at deer, killing deer. I think, uh, that was a lot funner hunting in just a regard of the adventurous as it was coming together type of thing. Like I, I loved, uh, um, the challenge of just shooting deer and it was, you shot everything that came by and you just tried, you know, and that, those are fun days. Um, yeah. but there comes a point where you grow beyond that and I can't go back. Yeah. I'm also, I'm like very conscious of, uh, like the new, new people that come in and, and watch is, and I feel like, I feel like we sound awful saying all we just said about like, uh, well, I do too. I, I, but I'm telling the truth, well, it's yeah, nice yeah, yeah. Awful, but I'm just being honest. Yeah. We don't, yeah. We don't mean anything bad by it by any means. And I'll, I'll say this also, like I get it. Like uh, as a new hunter, it's hard to kill your first deer. Arguably it's probably one of the hardest deer you ever kill is getting the first one in your belt especially if you're older, it seems like the older you get in life, the harder it is to pick up hunting. I don't know why. Um, the one thing but, I'll say about it though, is that, that if you practice what we're preaching, listen to what yeah. I'm just, what I just said, it became too easy to just kill deer. So if you're doing yeah. what we're saying, you're going to kill deer. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to be seeing that when we're on these hunts and stuff, deer are walking past, we're filming deer walking past. Yeah. So we could shoot deer, quite often so the method and the tactics that we're doing will put deer in front of you and if that's what you want 
you're going to get them. It's just that we're choosing yeah. to hold out for a bigger one. And literally, I mean, if we didn't, we'd be tagged out already and we'd be done. Yeah. And I was just getting ready to say that exact thing. I said, I don't think you do anything different really. You know, I think it's, it's all the, I would approach it in the exact same way if you wanted to just shoot a deer, you know, I think the one thing I would do different is, is I would hunt a little more food sources because you do get congregations of deer coming into food sources that are remote and, and hidden from people a little bit, but. If, if I had to give someone a tip on like, I just want to go shoot a deer, I would tell you, you need to do uh, like three observations and then one hunt. Like if I want to go shoot a doe somewhere, that's what I'll do is I'll like find a field and like pattern them and then go hunt them. Don't just go sit somewhere for your first hunt because, you know, you're going to go sit on the field edge to shoot a doe. Well, you don't know exactly where they're going to come out. You know, you got some ideas, but. You know, they, they may come out in a different area. And then once you're in that field once, you, you know, your odds of killing them start to go down. Uh, what so, do you think the biggest mistakes you see are? Um, hmm. So you walk out into the hunting woods. Yeah. And you see other or, hunters. What do you think when you see them that they're doing wrong? A lot of people don't uh, pay a, a, as close attention to the wind as they they should. I think that's like a lot of people just walk out and go wherever, you know, um, for, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like new people, you know, um, I know by hmm. me, I go, I go out in the woods and, um, if I walk up in the hardwoods in the open hardwoods, I will see hunters all over the place. Every place yeah. there's a big rub. Every place there's a scrape. There'll be a guy. Um, but when I go where the big bucks are down in the swamps and marshes and stuff by the islands and stuff, I see nobody. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, a small percentage of the people that shoot all the deer. Yeah. I would say another big thing is a lot of people just aren't mobile. They just sit in the same, same yeah. area, same spot every time they go out and, and hunt. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'd have to think about it harder to give I you get a good... To, I get asked that question a lot. Like, I just want to shoot a deer. What do I got to do to shoot a deer? And it's like, mm-hmm. God, that's a hard question for me to answer. You just... Yeah. And I'm seeing yeah. deer um, probably... I don't know. Maybe more than half of my sits, I could shoot a deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think, I think uh, if you're hunting the way we were hunting, you're going to kill deer. Yeah. All right. Dan, are you planning any seminars this spring? As a matter of fact, yes. It's almost like you're custom picking these. Uh... <laughs> so um, I might as well let the cat out of the bag. Um, Josh and I are going to be doing seminars at uh, Wisconsin Dells show and at the Ohio show, uh, uh, the field and stream shows. Um. What are they called again? Um, they got a name to them, but we'll be do we'll be announcing where those shows are later on. But we'll be doing seminars. We'll have booths there where you can meet us, and we'll also be doing spring workshops. Yeah, um, by my place. Um, maybe some other spots. I don't know, but uh, for sure by my place. Um. Yeah, and uh, I am putting up a building, and when that's done, we'll probably do some seminars uh, at my house. Um. And that should be fun. Um, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody's never been to a, a workshop, it's a pretty good time. Um, 
I'd recommend coming if you have uh, any inclination to come do it. You usually have quite a uh, quite a few of them too, enough to where um, everybody can get a spot in one now nowadays. It seems like. Yeah, if you get a good property down by you and you get some place where we can house people and feed them and stuff, we could do one down by you too. Yeah, the hard part about around here is just like I don't know, man. You could kill a guy if they're not in good shape in some of the public land around here. You know, yeah, like taking them to almost killed out here. Yeah, you should probably be in at least halfway decent shape if you're going to come on one of my workshops. Yeah, that's a good point. We walk aways. Oh, I'm looking through some more questions here. I think we've gotten to to most of them. Um. Anyway, if we didn't get to them, sorry, everybody. We've been on here for an hour and a half now, so we better hop off. But uh, anyway, yeah, I went fast tonight. So. All that talking it, about raccoons. Yeah, we spent 25 minutes talking about raccoons. <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right, everybody. Well, we will see you probably next week sometime. And uh, good luck if you're going hunting this weekend. And have a uh, have a good rest of your night. See you, everybody. See ya.